Good evening, everyone. Good to have you here. Glad you could join us for Wednesday night. Um, just thinking about how the message on Sunday in Exodus 15 and 16 um, goes with prayer time. Um, the message in Exodus 15 um, the people found no water, so they grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? God supplied their need. There's a grumbling that continued on in chapter 16, a grumbling of the people. Um, and it just made me think about how that goes along. That theme is appropriate for us to consider in our prayer time. A couple of verses I wanted to look at. Philippians 2.14, um, and you can turn there and read along with me. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, um, later on, um, in Philippians 4, verse 6, it says this. Verse, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So that giving thanks is opposed directly with the grumbling spirit that the uh, people of Israel showed. Instead of grumbling, um, New Testament advises us, uh, teaches us as, as Christians to be thankful for what God gives and to pray for what we need. So it says giving thanks um, there. Read that again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So by prayer, we make our request to God. We pray for what we need instead of grumbling, uh, instead of being anxious. But we also give thanks to God instead of grumbling. And so <clears throat> those two scriptures uh, came to mind, how we can relate um, the, the Sunday's message to our prayer time today. And then Ephesians 5, verse 20 Give thanks always and for everything to God. So instead of grumbling, um, we speak to God in prayer. We come together to pray tonight um, and to, to bring our request to God, but also to bring that request with thanksgiving. In James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. And it's connecting that with prayer again. What are we asking for? in our prayers? Are we bringing our requests um, to God? In other words, instead of just complaining about what we don't have, are we actually, are we actively taking it to God in prayer and asking him for it? Um, what's on your prayer list now? What, what, what kind of things are, do you have need of? I guess what sometimes I feel like we have a complaint list and we fail to do a prayer list. You know, in our own hearts, 
we have these things to complain about, uh, and, and we kind of get mad when somebody says, well, okay, well, let's pray. <laughs> I don't feel like praying. You know, I told you how I felt. <laughs> well, yeah, you complained. But do you also want to, with that complaint, um, pray and ask God for something, make it a positive um, request? So we're reminded to do that. And then the, the, the Lord's Prayer, um, where he taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, 11, he, that familiar phrase, give us this day our daily bread. In Exodus chapter 16, we saw the, the case of God bringing manna, bread from heaven to his people. And um, we talked about that. He gave them a day's portion at a time. And um, Jesus said, when we ask for things, we should ask, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we're going to ask so that we walk in faith. You know, Lord, give us a year's portion of what we need right now. And then we'll be praying for a garage or warehouse to put it in. And he said, he said, ask for what you need right now and trust that God will give it to you and trust that when you need more, you'll ask for more and he'll give more as well. I was talking to somebody, um, talking to one of the teachers at school and just talking about um, some of the lessons I learned from uh, as a church eating together as families. One thing I learned was that um, um, younger children often pile a lot of stuff on their plate if you let them. Um, you know, you go, for, you have a breakfast buffet and their plate, they're, they're only six years old, but they got 10 strips of bacon on it. And uh, you go, even if you can eat all that, you're not finna get all that. Take what you need right now and trust that when you need more, God will give more and get in the habit of asking for what you need. We don't like to ask. Uh, we really don't. We don't want to have to ask. In fact, that's that whole attitude of, I don't want to be dependent on anybody, including God. And I've, I've said this before, is that one of the most basic things, definitions of sin is the attitude and the behavior that desires to be independent from God. God, I want to do this without you. Or I don't want to have to keep coming back and asking you for something else. Um, and that's, that's a sinful attitude. God actually wants us to be dependent on him. Now, I know that sounds bad because in, in the human sense, I don't like being dependent on human beings. I'm, I'm subject to them if I'm dependent on them. Um, but really, if you think about it, the reason why we don't like that is because that person becomes God to us. And we have a need for them. And we should only have a need for God himself. He should be our God and, our, and he should be God alone, not along with someone else. <clears throat> so we should practice an attitude of regular dependence on God. And that shouldn't be strange to us. Humanly, yes, it is strange. But with our Heavenly Father, that should be our attitude. Lord, we submit ourselves. We know that you have what we need. You are our source, and you are our only source. We come to you and ask you, give us what we need. We can't live without you. We have to have you. And so Jesus said, practice that by praying that way. Give us 
this day our daily bread. We worry so much about the future. I've, I've always um, been conflicted on this, you know, how much we should plan. And we, we are a planning society. We are planning culture. Um, we, we teach that from, from school. You know, one of the things you, we teach our students, you have to have a calendar and a planner and write down your homework assignments and know what you're going to do, know what's due next week and plan for that ahead of time and, and do, you, do your work. And that's good training. But in that, we can incorporate this idea that um, we provide and through our planning, we, we make sure we don't have a need. And, and we are independent because we plan well. God is saying, no, you don't have to. You should plan to depend on me, <laughs> not plan to be independent from me. And so um, we like to live that way. Go to the grocery store. I want a week's, a month worth of groceries. Um, I don't want just today's. I don't want to have to go back and get more. Um, we do like to have big storehouses so that we can be independent. Um, but when it comes to connecting with God, he wants us daily dependent on him. How do we express that? How are you going to express that tonight when you pray? Lord, I need you. Sometimes I get tired of saying, I'm thinking, man, God is just, I'm, I'm a nuisance to him. I keep on asking for more and more and more. I have to come to him all the time, but he is not. He wants it that way. He wants us to rely, depend, and acknowledge that our whole life is supplied by him. And so he wants us to regularly come to him. How do you practice that? How do you incorporate that into your prayer time and practice that on a regular basis? I need you, Lord. Here is what I ask you for today. Give me this. Uh, meet my needs, Father. And um, um, I'll come back to you again and again and again. I'm thankful that you welcome me to come back and you want me to make requests known to you. You also want me to request with thanksgiving. So it's almost a faith that we come to God and say, thank you that you supply my need. Thank you that you are willing to, to, to meet every need um, that I have. I know in my life, God has met every need. God has, has come through. Um, I think of the, the James 4 passage with me. If it's anything I didn't have, it's because I didn't ask. Um, but God has met every need. Now, I'm not saying he did everything I wanted him to do the way that I wanted him to do it, but he has met every need in my life and exceeded that. Some things I didn't even know to ask for that he has blessed me with. So let's keep that in mind as we come to God today. Um, grumbling, we grumble over our circumstances, but God wants us to pray. He wants us to make a request and to walk by faith. Good evening, saints. We're going to be continuing our meditation through the Gospel of John. 
And we know this is written so that we might believe. That we might believe in the words of Jesus. And we come to the end of the book, and we have this part, unlike any other gospel, where we have Jesus just sitting there, and he's just speaking truth. You know, maybe we use modern lingual, he's dropping game on his disciples. And he's just telling them the truth. Some of it is harsh realities, but some of it is just reality. And so he's just teaching them the truth, and we, we're, we're interrupting that part. And that's kind of the unfortunate part of when we have services, um, the way that we do, we can't, you know, you really, you know, by all rights, you want to keep going, but you only have so much time. So we're in the middle of this flow. Judas has left. Remember, it started with Jesus washing their feet. He washed the feet of the wicked and the good. Judas was there. And then Judas left. It represented the work of the church. And then we got into chapter 14. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. A message of courage. And he's speaking to them about the Holy Spirit. And then we saw in chapter 15, abide in me. And then we get into chapter 16. And the theme of chapter 16 if you go to the last verse of chapter 16 he says in verse 33 I'm going to read this and then I'll start reading it again he says I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away I'm back at the beginning of 16 they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to you, going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. Again, a little while and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not want know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. 
but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because of her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, but joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming while I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you love me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Your disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, where you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you would have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's break down this chapter. Of course, you know, we got limited time, but just some thoughts as you see it in this chapter, and then I'll point out some things that I've seen. What have you seen in this chapter? is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit he will do some works in this chapter right what else we got in this chapter They didn't even know their own heart, right? What else? What else? Gentle?
Yep, that is so true. Any others? Go ahead, Chris. saying that's for sure. Ask and you will receive. Alright. Let's break it down a little bit here. Let's just say this first thing. He uses a figure of speech that they do not understand. Now this is more troubling than you might think because here's what it means. Think about it this way. Jesus said something that they didn't understand but Jesus knows the future. So he said something he knew they wouldn't understand. He knew that he was saying something that would confuse them. And let's just think about the word of God, okay? How many times have you read a verse and you've seen people use that for false teaching? You say to yourself, well, man, God, how come you didn't word it differently than that? I know I thought that plenty of times. Judge not, you will not be judged. Lord, could you just, <clears throat> every time I see this verse, I got to explain it, Lord. Why you do that to me? Right? Baptized on the sake of the dead. Why, Lord? Why you put these things in there, Lord? And let's just think about that, because even though that seems like it's a small part, it's not a small part. And here's the thing that we're learning in this chapter. God brings us through tribulations to bring us something good. But the tribulation separates the good and the bad. Jesus said something that was confusing, but this is not the first time in this book that he purposefully said something confusing. In John 6, he said, eat my flesh and my blood, and a lot of people left. Didn't Jesus know they were going to leave? Paul said, be baptized on the sake of the dead. Didn't Jesus know that people would use that and use a false religion for that? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And what happens when people fall into those things? I believe they fall into traps that God has used to separate the good from the bad. It's just like when people come into the church and every once in a while there'll be people in our church that just, I just wish they would leave. They become traps for other people. They're looking for relationships at the wrong time with people that we think are growing, right? And they sitting there and you're like, would you leave these people alone? Why are you doing that? But they have become traps. And they separate the good and the bad. Ecclesiastes says, there is a woman whose heart is nets and fetters. A sinner will be trapped by her, but the righteous man will escape from her. Why is she there? From that passage, it is meant she is there to separate the good and the bad. And what we need to understand is that we will go through tribulations and we will see good if we serve the Lord. And if we don't serve the Lord, those tribulations will become stopping points. He said, I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
Some people are going to persecute you, he says. Some people, he taught this in other gospels, some people will be choked out or scared by persecution. But some will be proven more true. I'm going to leave, he says, tribulation, but I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. Who left when Jesus left? It's quite a few. Thousands of people ate the bread. 120 was in the upper room. But those 120 received the Holy Spirit. He says, a little while and I'll be gone. Let a little while and you will see me. Now there's lots of ways to interpret that. And all of them could be true. One way of interpreting that is that he's going to die and he's going to raise again and you will see me. Another way of it is I'm going to leave this earth and I'm going to return one day and you will see me. Either way, we have to go through pain and we will see Jesus on the other side. He immediately gives the illustration of a woman in labor. And I was thinking about that illustration because in our own ways, we all go through labors. And the temptation is to turn around and tell other people about our labor instead of enjoying the life that's being brought in the world. Don't people know I worked on this sermon for 12 hours, did this and that, searched this thing and searched that book, and taught this teacher and debated this guy just to make this sermon happen? They don't need to know that. That's my labor. They just need to know what I've given birth to. They don't need to know that. All of that labor, all it does is points to me. It makes me look good, but that's not why God did it. That would be like a mother giving birth, and then as soon as the baby laid on her, she said, don't you know all you put me through? That's not what good mothers do. I'm not saying no mothers do that. That's not what good mothers do. The good mothers, you know, my wife, as soon as the baby, she said, she's crying. She's so happy. She's holding the baby, right? She's swaying already. She's still in pain. But she's so happy to see the baby. That's the right attitude. We go through pain for a purpose. To bring us to the other side where God declares his goodness. And what that goodness will look like just like the baby, we really don't know. We have signs of how it's going to look. We might see mammograms. We might see other things. But at the end of the day, it's kind of a mystery how the baby going to look when the baby comes out. But we go through that labor, and we all think it's worth it. You know what? All of us are here because somebody went through that labor. I'm going to see section stop nurses in the building. You can't say nothing about the body with them around. But praise God, right? We have to go through difficulty to see good from him. And that's what we see in this chapter. Amen?